Welcome to the Trap One podcast. I'm Mark. Unfortunately, my Trap One crew were being held to ransom, and I could only find £2.70 down the back of the sofa, so I could only afford to release Simon. This is our podcast. We were here before mankind. Jason. My gallant crew, good morning. And Conrad. I've just walked off a plank. <laughs> <laughs> So the plan is, we're going to talk about the Doctor Who special, Legend of the Sea Devils, record the conversation as a podcast, edit it, upload it to the internet where our listeners will be able to find it, then they can download it and listen to it. I just think it's very important to fully describe exactly what we're doing. <laughs> Are you making some kind of point there, Mark? I think you might be making a point. Perhaps some kind of point, yeah. <laughs> some salty sea dogs aboard today. Possibly, possibly. Put the plutonic crystal in the Podbean account before you activate the geothermic current. <laughs> Very important you do that, otherwise the whole thing could get lost. <laughs> so, just a few minutes into this episode, we see a statue being torn down. It's more like Dr. Woke. Am I right, guys? <laughs> oh, very oh. good. <laughs> Based on the uh, ratings here in the United States, uh, uh, get woke and go broke. As uh, one of our evil uh, YouTube RIP Doctor Who people likes to say. So we're in 1807, uh, where uh, the Doctor, Dan and Yaz land uh, on the shore of China uh, and become embroiled in this adventure. One thing I really liked at the start is the way Dan is like Yaz's companion, um, which I think is a good uh, holdover from the Flux, where they spent much more time together than... Dan has, has actually spent with the Doctor, so Yaz sort of encouraging him to uh, to dress as a pirate and so on uh, is, a, is a nice little uh, reintroduction to the characters for the special. Uh, what do you think? It's very interesting, isn't it, how Dan has, hasn't really spent very much time with the Doctor at all. They have very few scenes together again in this, this story. Um, and I just find it a really interesting choice because there's... There's a good relationship between Jodie and John, I think, and they they react really well and bounce really well off each other, but they just don't get much screen time together. Do you think that's why Dan doesn't know that the Doctor doesn't like violence as well? Yeah, he, he massacres about a dozen sea devils with one uh, flick of his sword, and the Doctor doesn't even find out or notice or care, so it's all good, I guess. Satisfied <laughs> for another episode. What I was going to say is the way that Dan dresses in the over-the-top pirate costume and has a hook on his hand reminds me very much of Stephen in The Gunfighters, and that's always a very good place to start with your historical. I'm always looking for as many Gunfighters comparisons in modern-day Doctor Who as I can find, and that was the first thing it reminded me of, Stephen's crazy uh, satin cowboy jacket and uh, pop gun pistols and... Uh, Hat with chin strap. Yeah, I, I like that, and I like that um, <clears throat> he's almost like treated like a pet. You know, the doc saying, you know, <laughs> telling Yaz off a dress. Did you dress Dan up like that? Like he had no choice in it. I quite like that. It kind of just tells you he is kind of fairly just up for it and fairly affable and fairly. And there's a nice bit at the beginning where they they're going to skim stones and stuff, and, and he just looks really happy that he's about to skim a stone. He, there's a moment of like, oh, we're going to do this. There's something, you know, he's not particularly, you know, very deeply written, and you could argue it's just John Bishop on board, you know, tagging along. And that is sort of what it feels like. And um, But 
I found him quite entertaining. I quite I just really enjoyed him in this story. He's kind of a, he gave me slightly Harry Sullivan vibes, and he's not. He's just sort of is he a companion? Is he not? He's just kind of there, and I don't know. I quite, I quite enjoyed him in this. I loved it. I love the fact that she she dressed him up so ridiculously, and it it does set the tone of like okay, well, you know the Doctor and Yaz are dressed up, and you know the the costume uh, designer Ray Holman said we wanted everybody dressed up for this because it's a you know it's clearly a fantasy adventure holiday type thing, um, and so I like the fact that the the Doctor and Yaz are in. You know, slightly more appropriate gear, and then Dan has gone full ridiculous costume. Um, I think it's terribly funny. I love that, and and his costume is brilliant. Like everything about the costume is just too big. The frills are too big. The buckles are too big. The the boots, everything is just like over the top. It's very funny. I enjoyed that. I love the bit where um, Dan and um, the young guy swim up to the ship get captured and then you get to the next scene and they're hanging upside down yeah. <laughs> and dripping water everywhere and it's just just perfect it's so it, that was really nicely done i really liked that bit <laughs> before which dan said i'm not supposed to go wandering off yes <laughs> Six. that's great really fun really fun it's like he's on a school trip and then the young man tries to guess his age and says oh, you're 70 right 60? <laughs> 42 <laughs> He's, he's joking about that, isn't he? He's not. He's not. Not younger than all of us. He's younger than me, but that doesn't say much. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that occurred to me on the second viewing was uh, that the, when they land, the doctor says that they're out by a couple of centuries. So the fact that he's dressed as a pirate and they land in a pirate adventure is just a massive coincidence. We don't know when they got dressed up. They might have landed and. It seemed like she didn't realise until they were on the oh, show. Okay. But yeah, I could, be, um, I could be wrong about that. She could have already taken a reading. Well, they had they were supposed to be heading off to the Flor del Mar, weren't they? Which eventually they do go to, because that was alluded to in Eve of the Daleks as well, that that was where they were heading before. So it's... Um, well, so they're a couple of centuries late, not early. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it would still be times where there was pirates because yes, cause, yeah because they were going after the pirate treasure or find out what had happened to the other pirate who we do see later on whose name has completely escaped me yi hun yi hun that's it yes so so yeah so i think they were going to investigate that mystery but ended up two yeah. centuries ahead of where they should have been that makes sense there you go i've got my narrative head on <laughs> John Bishop was 54 when they recorded the episode. He wasn't no 42. I take it back. He's older than me. <laughs> older than all of us. Mm-hmm. And I want to point out, we are all better dressed than Dan is dressed right now. We're all in casual. <laughs> None of us is wearing a hook or, or over the oversized frills or a, a ridiculous hat. We are dressed for the occasion. <laughs> yeah. Another thing I really liked about the episode is is that trip back in time that they take mid episode, because uh, not that often that they do that. It reminds me a little bit of Silver Nemesis. Uh, I like that. Uh, I like it. Or you know, City of Death. I like it when mid episode they jump in the TARDIS and visit another time to find something out. Uh, see, Silver Nemesis. They, they do it quite a few times. Uh, so it's it's, uh, it's good to see that in the middle of an episode. It's quite cool. It was good use of storytelling, and in an episode that took very few risks and did very few things unexpectedly, and I'm sure we'll come back to that, 
that was a nice little narrative wrinkle that you don't often see time travel used as a way of solving the equation. I mean, apart from Stephen Moffat's wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey, unexplainable stuff, this was a nice rational use of time travel. Let's go back in time, find what happened to the treasure, take the treasure, and then use it to get uh, uh, Madame Ching to do what we want. That's a nice logical plan. Yeah, and I did love the use of the TARDIS to go to the bottom of the ocean and sit on the ocean floor. I think that was some of the most magical imagery of the whole story. That was beautifully mm-hmm. done, with, yeah, especially I with agree. the Doctor and Yaz sort of lying at the on the floor of the TARDIS with the doors open, looking out at the sea and the seabed and all of that. It was beautifully done. Yeah, I agree. It was a real, real moment, and it was like a moment of stillness, and it was a moment of... Of real wonder, and I think she says, like, what a universe, what a planet. And it's mm. just so nice to have those moments just to, you know, enjoy being in a TARDIS and being in a sort of fantasy adventure series. It was great. It picked up on my favorite story of Legopolis, where uh, the whole point in Legopolis is they're going to materialize the TARDIS underwater and open the doors. Only then the doctor has Adric for company, and here she has Yaz for company and calls it a date. So this is a, a much better moment than Legopolis almost gave us. And she says, no ship, Sherlock, when they can't find the... Uh... <laughs> oh, oh. Do you know, I thought of you straight away there, Mark, as soon as... You know I, I think I did too. I think I did too. <laughs> That's a terrific line. <laughs> who, would have, who would have predicted that, you know, that there would be more Logopolis moments to sort of pick characters from Logopolis to come in this story? But that comes later at the end of the story, mm-hmm. which I'm sure we'll get into. Spoilers! <laughs> Yeah, and obviously that is the the first little moment um, of the Thasmin uh, subplot as well that we get there when uh, when she talks about it being a date. And it's really nicely played between the two of them, isn't it? When the sort of the Doctor's looking at Yaz, and then she looks away when Yaz looks back at her, and it's it's just really feels really natural and 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 how that sort of situation would be. I think. Yeah, it was nicely done, and I especially liked that um, Yaz's reactions were not fast she was you could see on her face that she was thinking about what how she should react to that and what she should do mandip is is really good i think at sort of externalizing what what um what yaz is thinking a lot of the time and seeing that conflict and dealing with that and again it it was very doctor who that um they finally had the conversation while everything is going off and the machines are all breaking down. And because that's what you do in real life, isn't it? <laughs> while everything is going wrong, you suddenly have these really big conversations at the worst possible moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did like that. I like that several times that, you know, they, they the, the, the few times they, they uh, meant that came up, you know, the, the story took over. The action was just like, just sort of overrode it. It's like, yeah, we've got to talk about this, but there's something more pressing going on. So, it, so you've got those moments to build up to it, but but every time the, act, the sort of the action took precedent, and I thought that was great. Um, so you see, so you got the beats, but it, did, it never hold, it didn't hold up the action at all until there were the right moments towards the end where it, where it could let that story breathe. And I'm still in shock that they actually went there and actually talked about it. I wasn't sure that they were were going to. Um, I think it's pretty courageous. That, and and surprising really i i thought it would be one of those things that might be just never addressed apart from on yaz's side so to actually have that have that done and talked about i think was a good a good move 
yeah, I, I actually felt relieved that it wasn't bigger. I, I was relieved that it was just it was just a sort of it was just had its place in the in the program, and it didn't tank it too much, or it didn't end up in a sort of you know huge sacrifice or something. You know, it just, it just you know because in the program it can't be about a couple <laughs> flying through space forever. So there has to be a sort of like you're really nice, I really like you, but I can't do this because I'm going to change and I'm a, and it's just like I thought that was really. I think they handled it much better than I thought it was going to be handled, to be honest. But isn't it too safe of a choice to wrap that up in a three-scene subplot? Wouldn't the braver choice be to have actually the Doctor give in to her desires and start a relationship, which makes it even more tragic because we know that the very next episode is going to be the last one. Have them start a relationship, end on a happy note, and then, of course, you rip it all away in the very next story. Otherwise, a three-scene subplot that ends, oh, let's stay friends. Oh, of course. That just seems like they're teasing us, and then they're not delivering. They're offering something Doctor Who has never done before, and they're ending it with a polite refusal, and then we move on to the next story. I thought they could have taken this opportunity to give us something adventurous that we've never seen before, and I think the episode gives us a choice and then, and then fails to take it. Although I seem to be in the minority on that. But I came away from the episode happy that they tried it, but disappointed that they didn't go far enough. Yeah, I think the the way it's played, I really like the way it's played with Yaz, the way she, she doesn't want to broach it. That felt very real. She didn't want to broach it in case the Doctor doesn't feel the same, you know, even though she's got down there saying, you know, oh, yeah, she likes you and stuff like that. That uh, that reticence feels feels very realistic. Um, but I suppose it's the way it's... It, because it's the first time they've mentioned sort of River Song or anything, isn't it, in, in this era? So it's, um, it shows the Doctor has learned from that as well, that, uh, you know, in terms of the character, that was, uh, uh, you know, they spent those 24 years together, I think, on their, uh, their sort of honeymoon. Um, so that the, the heartache from that sort of thing is still there, that it isn't just a case of I'll start another relationship that the... Uh, that, 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 acknowledging that, you know, that the, the hurt is still there from it. And it felt like a bit of progress from uh, the Doctor who, like, wasn't able to have a conversation with Graham about cancer or something, you know. Like she, mm-hmm. she was like, I can't, I sorry, I just can't talk about this. I don't know how to. And this felt like it was still very awkward. It was still that same person. But I think she knew I've got to do something. I've got to say something. I've got to push through this. Um, and it felt awkward. You could feel you could feel her kind of cringing inside having to say that. It's, it's um, I don't know. It, it, I know, I know what you mean, Jason. But I think, and I think also it'll be interesting to see how the next episode pans out because, you know, Yaz and the Doctor are probably about to lose each other in very fiery circumstances. So I think that that tragic split may come. But I, I, I think I, I this this felt good for me. And we've we've had you know uh, a queer woman of colour before, you know, and it didn't end. It ended suitably tragically, so I think we've I've had enough of that actually. So I think it's I, I felt okay with this, but it'll be interesting to see how it plays out next time. Yeah, definitely. I it's the doctor was doing the classic, it's not you, it's me, uh, kind of letdown, wasn't she? It was the classic. Oh, I I can't be with you, but I do really like you, and I think you're wonderful, and you're the most brilliant person I've ever met. But we can't do this. I think maybe we've all been there at one point or another. <laughs> 
Or, or many points in my case. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's lots of sage nodding going on from yeah. all of us here. <laughs> so it's a kind of universal thing and a universal piece of writing. So I mean, mm. it wasn't as clunky as it could have been compared to, to other moments in, in the episode. So that's that's a good thing, I think. You sort of highlighted how little Yaz does know the Doctor as well. That You know, she's she's never asked her if she's ever been married or anything you know there's still because um, their relationship isn't completely harmonious is it as well as uh, you know when the doctor is trying to find out the information from the sea devil Yaz is saying what, what do you, you haven't got a plan you haven't got a plan and then when Yaz gives too much information away the doctor's sort of saying well you know I was going to hold that back and everything it's it's uh, you know it's not a completely kind of just uh, you know the way the doctor and Rose were just kind of just uh, loved up and in, in in sync all the time and high fiving and all that kind of stuff. It's a slightly slightly different relationship. Yeah, I think that I I quite like the bits where they call each other out on sort of bad behaviour or or the choices that they've made, and that yeah. that, that feels re- like a really good thing. That's a really good friendship where you can say these things and it doesn't matter. So I think that that aspect of it is is really nicely characterised. Yeah, the doctor isn't challenged always by by her companions, is she? And it's something that Yaz has grown into as well over the the three and a bit seasons. Yeah, very much so. I think particularly since Revolution of the Daleks, um, where she was sort of left behind and the only one sort of waiting for her, she has really grown into her role as chief companion since then. So, how do we think? Her story ends because she's she's now got a lot of um, adventures under her belt with the Doctor and and without the Doctor in flux. So I, I kind of foresee probably her getting a bit of an exit like Graham and Ryan uh, of sort of going off like they did to to you know continue to try and uh, put things right and make the world better. I, I feel like it will be a positive ending for Yaz. Uh, you know, as, as sad as it w- it will be for her to leave, I think. I feel like they'll end it positively. I think the, I would not like to see a tragic ending for Yaz, personally. I just don't see how. And I don't think that, would, that doesn't feel like that would fit. That would feel like a cheat, mm. I think. Um, I, think there'll be, I think there'll be enough sort of emotional tearing away from the Doctor. I think that will be, that'll be hard to see her changing and stuff. So I think, but I, I, I sort of, I, I think, and I think I'm actually admitting, I think I'm hoping for a positive end for Yaz because I think she's bloody earned it. See, that's the thing. It's a bit of a misnomer to call up a new series because it's now 17 years old. But the one <laughs> Jason, constant... Jason, how old's New York? When are you going to stop? Uh, New York? <laughs> well, we're properly called New Amsterdam. Then you folks came and took it over at gunpoint. And, wow. It's been New York ever since. But <clears throat> that's a This is our planet. <laughs> <laughs> This is a Dutch city. The Dutch were here first. That's why it's called Brooklyn (laughs) and not New Manchester. (laughs) Uh, So circling back to my point, if I may, uh, we have a 17-year-old series that does not know how to stick the landing with companion departures, right? Rose gets a big tragic uh, departure trapped on the other side of the wall, on the other side of the universe from the man she loves. Uh, Bill, uh, I'll come back to Bill. Martha, uh, you know, storms off on her own. Uh, Donna is given this tragic thing. If you hear the word doctor, you will die. 
Then we get to the Moffat era. The last thing we see of Amy and Rory is their gravestone. And then uh, Clara is killed off. And then Bill is killed off. So for the first two showrunners of the new series, every companion departure has to be traumatic and painful. That's what was great about the Chibnall era is that when it's time for Graham and Ryan to go, they just leave and it's amicable and they're happy. And I want to see more of that with Yaz because we've seen the female companion killed off. It was the stock and trade of the Moffat era. We don't need to see that again. We've seen the female companion leave in tears tragically or under some horribly contrived circumstance like with Rose and with Donna and with Martha. I just want to see a nice, clean departure like we got on the classic series. I don't want to see any more of this trauma or tragedy or pain. I think Yaz, after all this time, and you know, it'll be four complete calendar years on the show for Mandib Gill, she deserves a positive constructive ending which in the new series has tended not to give us but of course we don't know that she's actually going because <laughs> it hasn't true. been said so mm. she she might be there to witness the regeneration and and carry on we just don't know but that's all let's carry over to rtd who will give her a tragic ending <laughs> <laughs> We're, and it would be fascinating to have a companion cross showrunners and cross over into a, a different era. I mean, we've had companions in the new series, in, in the series, sorry, Jason, <laughs> um, in the series who have crossed over doctors now. So, but it'd be really interesting to see it crossing doctors and showrunners as well. I suspect mm-hmm. that's probably not going to happen, but it would be. I think it would be a really interesting and different thing to happen. I think the only companions who crossed showrunners in the classic series would have been Jamie and Sarah Jane. Otherwise, when you had a change in showrunners, you had uh, a, a change in crew. Romana carried over to JNT for a couple of stories. Vicky carried over to John Wiles for about five minutes. But for the most part, when a showrunner comes in, they clean house is the first thing they do. To have Yaz stick around for a full series or two under RTD would be very nice. I just don't see it happening. I don't know if Amanda Gill wants to give six years of her life to the show that's only in production three months out of every 15. We'll see, I suppose. Later this year. It always does. (laughs) (laughs) I suppose the difference with Yaz is she's got that sort of rose thing of of probably wanting to continue traveling with the Doctor as long as possible, so it might not be as... As, as much her choice as it was with Graham and Ryan. Um, and I guess for Dan, it, it seems like uh, him reconnecting with Di is, is his, uh, his exit is, uh, is probably kind of nicely lined up there. Yeah, which I think we could all probably see was going to be how he would go. He would go back to her. I think that was always sort of set up like that, that they would realise they were meant to be together and they have their happy ending. Mm-hmm. I think we're hopefully heading that way. Hope nothing bad happens to Dan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Portions of the, the of the of the next episode are going to take place in the present day. So there is a lane for Yaz to go back to her life and there's a lane for Dan to go back to her life. It isn't like Steven Taylor who's, you know, abandoned on another planet or uh, uh, you know, Romana who's abandoned in another universe. There is a chance for these guys to go home where they're supposed to be. 
we know it takes place in 2022, the next episode, because of the returning characters that we get. So there's a, there's a chance for them to just go home and pick up where they left off and not be cast adrift in the middle of nowhere. Before we talk, before we talk about the trailer, we should probably uh, probably finish up with Legend of the Sea Devils. Uh, What's that? I thought it was a great looking episode for the most part. The sea devils themselves looked fantastic. They were uh, sort of loyal to the, to the original design, uh, not so much the warriors of the deep design, but the original design with little CGI enhancements. Uh, I thought every minute they're on screen there, uh, they, they looked, they looked fantastic. I really liked those, the new costumes uh, and the ships themselves. I watched those a little, um, making of like just like a five or six minute thing that I got in an email earlier today from just like the Doctor Who mailing list. Uh, but this is the biggest set they ever built for Doctor Who. Uh, I guess they, I guess they built the, the deck of the ship and then redressed it for uh, Madame Ching's and, uh, and the sea devil ship. Um, but uh, yeah, all of that looked great. I thought. BBC America aired those as interstitials in between commercial breaks. So there were brief bits on costumes and sets my complaint is that it's pretty obvious that most of this takes place indoors when it's supposed to be an outdoor story. And you could really see the COVID crisis crunching the episode because there was hardly any human extras. That's why Madame Ching improbably is sailing an entire pirate ship by herself across the oceans. And that's why all the ships appear to be indoors on sound stages. There's very little of the episode that actually takes place outdoors on location, which the earlier Chibnall era was heavily involved in traveling overseas and filming in South Africa or what have you. This episode looked as if it was made in the middle of a pandemic because of the lack of extras and because of the way it was all shot indoors. I think it was shot on the same production block as Flux because it was filmed in July and August of 2021. I think the CGI visuals were great, but I didn't get a sense from watching it that this is the largest set ever. That took me by surprise when I heard Mandip say that in the interstitial interview because it looked like a small budget-saving episode. Uh, I love the visuals. I love that when Madame Ching turns her eyes to the heavens to do celestial navigation, you can see the stars reflected in her eyes. That was really, really neat. Other visuals look cheap, like when the Sea Devil statue shatters in the cold open. It's clearly not shattering. Clearly computerized lines are being drawn across it. So the visuals, this is a brand new director I like, but the the sets and the extras, I thought it was noticeable that this was an episode made on, on the fly and in a rush and in a budget crunch. I just trampled all over Mark's point. So Mark, if you want to go finish rebutting what I was saying. Uh, yeah, I mean, suppose, I mean, we can't, I, I don't like to really complain about special effects in Doctor Who because it's, it's, you know, it's something that's, uh, that's always kind of an easy, especially with the older series, uh, an easy thing to complain about and, and all effects are going to date eventually anyway. Um, I know one of the things that I saw a little bit of um, consternation about on Twitter was about the the sea devil jumping really, really high aboard the ship, um, and this might be something I've misunderstood. Like the uh, which which whether they were centuries early or late, I took that to be part of the same process by which the skimming of the stones were were being drawn away. That they said it was a, a kinetic hypercurve there was a localized core i took that to mean that was part that was the the uh the technology under the ship that made it fly ah. that his sword or whatever was using the same sort of thing to make mm-hmm. him be able to jump up that that's how i read that 
Oh, that, that makes sense. That's interesting. Wish that was mentioned on screen. They didn't explain yeah. that. They didn't explain the green mist teleporting either. Here's the thing with this. I think the it's, it's really really interesting. I think this 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 story was clearly you know made in a pandemic. I think originally the the there was going to be a pirate queen story as part of Flux, and then just through various changes, they were like, oh, it's going to be one of the specials. And then he was like, oh, wait a minute, let's get some sea devils in here. So that creates, and then let's make it a holiday a holiday adventure special. Um, and obviously, clearly, it's been made in a pandemic. I think I have to say, I think um, I. The effect of it being done in a pandemic may explain a lot of the, you know, certainly the visual like elements, like there not being many people around, um, like they couldn't shoot abroad like they normally would. So, and I can't believe it, like that uh, that market town, that's a farm in Wales, and they didn't, you didn't, ha- they didn't even have any water tanks, so they just used the Cardiff Sea, which I was like, I, I can't believe they made that out of like Wales. <laughs> it didn't even occur to me any of that no. place was remotely sort of touched by Wales, but I think. But back to your point, Mark, I think the moment I saw that sea devil, like, leap, something happened in my head, I was like, oh, okay. And I I think part of me just kind of relaxed on it and went, oh, oh, it's fine. It's all fine. You know, and then I just remembered, oh, this is Legend of the Sea Devils. And I think I just, something to do with the, the way it's been sort of, it felt like it was a little, it could have, it's one of those rare Doc 2 stories that probably could have done with an extra 10, 15 minutes, maybe to flesh it out. But the fact that it's slightly chopped and the fact that there's bit, little bits missing and the fact that there were kind of like slightly hyper real stuff, things like that, it just made me just pull back and go, oh, I'm just watching a, it's like, like looking at a storybook or a picture book or a bank holiday movie. And I just relaxed on the whole thing. And I have to say, I really enjoyed this episode. Um, I really, really enjoyed it thoroughly. I think I know you have to be in the right headspace, and it depends kind of what where you're at. Um, we had a kind of a house full of visitors, all very busy, busy and stressful. So I actually didn't see it until later on, and perhaps I was just relieved to put my feet up and just watch something. But I found myself. I just really enjoyed the story. It felt very, very simple. I didn't really need much explanation. I think a lot of the stuff like, oh, it's the Keystone. I was like, they didn't even, you know, it hasn't got a particular name. It's just like a a symbol of something you know when that sea devil's in the statue like well how does that work then the statue blinks it's like well how does that work and then he leaps <laughs> it just like, does. okay yeah. it's just a then i was like it's okay and also i think the clues in the title it's called legend of the sea devils they come dressed up you know down ridiculously ridiculously so um it's it i think it's just a bit it's a a sort of holiday bank holiday adventure and I think some of those things, like on the, like you were mentioning about things looking a bit cheap or a bit stagey, like on the ship, this the sky in the background was that sort of Simpsons blue with white clouds on it. It nothing felt quite real, and I really enjoyed that. Like I really, really enjoyed it, and it never occurred to me that anybody wouldn't enjoy it um, until I made the mistake of getting on. <laughs> I realised I was I wrong. Think, and I didn't, yeah. didn't enjoy. I didn't enjoy it at all. No, I think <laughs> part of the problem with this is that it was built on maybe not build but everyone thought of it as a special and so they were expecting something that wasn't going to be delivered whereas this is this is pretty much a mid-season romp this you could see this as the early russell t davis two-parter um in one of his seasons so like aliens of london or um evolution of the daleks that kind of slightly spectacle slightly off kind of story a bit offbeat a bit quirky um 
bring back an old monster or or whatever and it's just fun you know and i think expectations were raised because the sea devils are coming back and here we go it that's going to be that means it's going to be an epic story like the sea devils like warriors of the deep and so expectations were higher maybe than they might have been because everyone was so excited by the trailer and so actually what we got was just something that was turn off your brain and just enjoy a really fun exciting doctor who adventure and don't worry about it all too much so i think sometimes our expectations of what doctor who is going to bring are higher than is actually able to be delivered i mean i think to be honest it's amazing that they made what nearly six sea devils i mean that's that's quite a thing i really love that the sea devils are were made like the original Sea Devils and they were worn like a hat and the yeah. actors were looking out of the neck and it wasn't sort of pros- um, prosthetics like the, the Silurian redesign. They felt mm. like they felt like Sea Devils. And I really like the fact that they weren't voiced by Nick Briggs and the actor was actually doing the voice as well and things like that. Little things like that, I think, just sort of elevated it for me and i just like comrad i just got swept along with it because it was so fast moving that you couldn't help but be swept along with what was going on and you just sometimes your brain just just says yeah that's all right i'm down with this i can do this doesn't matter afterwards i can spend the next 10 years trying to make sense of this plot and work out what went wrong and we'll find out eventually whether 10 minutes was chopped out of it or not and but you know it's Doctor Who. Sometimes you just want a story that just takes you away from reality for 50 minutes, and that's fine. As, a, as opposed to the episode, it takes you away, which nobody wants. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to get a chance to respond to what Sai said, because Sai made some really interesting points, and so did Conrad before that, and I've had a lot of thoughts in the same direction. We're living in the middle of spoiler culture. Right now, everything has to be an event. This leads to some tortured logic. We didn't need to have the timeless child. We didn't need to redefine who the doctor is. But because you need a big end-of-year event, you need to artificially create some incredible revelation or moment of drama in order to sell your show. We went into this under that same spoiler culture expectation. It's the only Doctor Who episode between January 1st, uh, 2022, and then whatever the BBC centenary is going to be, which is probably, I think, late September. It's the only only Doctor Who story for nine and a half months. There is an epic trailer, and then there is an epic next time. So the best two things about this episode didn't take place within the episode. You have Nathan Evans, the TikTok star, is brought in to record a parody of The Weller Man. That's a minute long. It's phenomenal. I had that stuck in my head, and I was making the joke on Twitter that if you just had that song air 48 times in a row in between the opening credits and the closing credits, that's your top 10 episode right there. That'll be one of the greatest episodes of the modern era. And then you have the epic next time trailer, which brings back a whole bunch of returning people. Some of whom we didn't expect to see 90% of the reaction and probably the most popular post that Mark has ever made on Twitter had to do with the next time trailer rather than the episode itself. It's the only doctor who episode in 10 months. And it ended up being, you know, this is fun. It's fun to watch in the moment. I'm watching it on vacation on streaming. 
But because of spoiler culture and its placement in the uh, this huge gap between uh, the Christmas special and the, the centenary, I think the episode needed to do more than it did. You have this huge guest star in Crystal Yu playing Madame Ching. She gets a good first 20 minutes doing the Linda Barron in Enlightenment thing, you know, swashbuckling around and being a villain. That was wonderful. Madame Ching plays no meaningful part in the resolution of the episode at all. We get the Sea Devils for the first time since 1984. And, all right, taking time off my rant, Craig Ells is a treasure. He has become a regular on the show. First, he plays Dan's mate in the Next Time trailer, introducing Dan. Then he's Carvanista, who's a de facto companion. And now he's the body and voice of the lead Sea Devil. So Craig Ells is becoming the most valuable player of the show. He is so good. I just figured it was going to be, you know, Paul Casey inside the costume and Nick Briggs on the voice like every other monster ever. But no, this is actually a very large man inside a very good, realistic costume with excellent prosthetics and excellent animatronics, getting animatronics, I should say, getting the, the eyelids to blink. And he does the voice and it's great. But we don't learn anything new about the sea devils that we didn't get before. We know from the start that these sea devils are not going to survive because it's 1807. And when we see them again in the 1970s and the sea devils, then we see them again in 2084 in Warriors of the Deep. Nobody remembers this particular pod of sea devils ever activating. So we know it's not going to end well for them. But the episode doesn't lean into this or play around with it. It just tells a story about evil monsters trying to invoke climate change 200 years early. And they're killed off very simply. Craig Ells' lead sea devil, who doesn't have a name, is pretty much killed off off screen as an afterthought by a tertiary character. Uh, this Hua Shen, I think it was supposed to be the Merca because it had the same kind of chin beard. But the <laughs> doctor doesn't say, oh, I've seen this before. Uh, it's just there. We see it in a couple of CGI shots, and, and then it disappears. I assume it's the same Merca that's killed off in Warriors of the Deep, but the episode doesn't quite draw the connection. And then this was a two-person story, right? Ella Road probably had the idea for the Pirate Queen historical. But Madame Ching is then usurped in the story by Ji Hun, who then gets his noble self-sacrifice at the end. And every time I expected the episode to be a special, like the name, and do something interesting with Madame Ching, do something interesting with the Doctor and Yaz, do something new with the Sea Devils, every time I was expecting something great, Spoiler culture again. We just got a standard by the number story. Now, in 10 years, when you're binge watching the entire show on HBO Max, and you can go right from series 12 to series 13 to series 14, and you don't have a three month gap between Eve of the Daleks and this, and you don't have another five or six month gap between this and the centenary, when it's just one episode out of 200, I think it will be much, much better received. But because of what it is and where it is, and presumably Chibnall had to take about 10 minutes out of Ella Rhodes' script to put in the ARC stuff, to put in the Doctor and Yaz, to put in Dan and Diane, to make room for the next time trailer. I would love to know what this story could have been if not for the pandemic and the reduction episode count. It's a decent story. It's fun to watch in the moment. Like uh, Conrad says, sometimes you want to just sit up and watch a story without engaging with it. But because of the placement and timing, this episode comes with expectations that it just did not live up to. So I walked away enjoying it, but I was disappointed by it. 
And again, maybe in 10 years as part of a binge watch, I'll see it for what it is and I'll appreciate it. But I was expecting all these bold narrative choices and I didn't get any of them. This says more about me than about Chibnall, but I really wanted more. Yeah, I mean, considering how well the Chibnall era has dealt with historical figures like Rosa Parks, for instance, at the start of the the era, um, dealing with um, Madam Chin like this is not it's not the um, not the finest piece of writing we've had, sort of historical wise. I don't think. But that said, I was very glad we didn't get a rehash of "This is our planet. We were here before man." We're doing exactly the same thing as every other Sea Devil and Silurian story we've ever heard, seen, watched, whatever. They did actually just deal with that in in a single line. And I liked the the um, little exchange between the Doctor and um, the Sea Devil where she says, Sea Devil, and he says, Land Pirate. And that was really oh, good. I, I laughed out loud. That was, that was great. That was terrific. That, yeah, that was, and again, that was nice. But that does all you need that tells you all you need to know really about the history of this i was just really glad we didn't have to go through oh the sea devils were here before man it's their planet oh how what about the ethical things about this that we've seen every other time they've been on screen and just to have them as the monster of the week i think actually was fine (laughs) whereas i think there should have been another way Oh, very good. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, I, I I enjoyed it, but I enjoyed it a lot more on the second viewing, uh, which I did this afternoon. And I think it's probably something in what you're saying there, Jason, in it doesn't have the weight of expectation then uh, of the first viewing or if you're sitting down, this is going to be epic. Um, and then, you know, maybe not quite living up to that. Whereas the second time round, I definitely got a lot more out of it and uh, enjoyed it more. Uh, and you touched on, on Crystal Yu playing Madame Ching there. I thought she was great as well. I thought she really uh, sunk her teeth into the part and uh, really enjoyed the sort of the, the villainous uh, having uh, Dan and the, and the other guy hanging upside down and threatening them and uh, and all that kind of stuff. No, she seized the script. She plundered it for its treasure. She did exactly what a pirate is supposed to do. And I also love that John Bishop was the only male Caucasian character in the entire hour. I think the only other Doctor Who story that's tried to do that going all the way back to 1963 would be Demons of the Punjab, where the only white male Caucasian is is, is Graham. Mm-hmm. So it was terrific casting. Arthur Lee played the medieval pirate captain. He is He has a lot of gravitas. Marlo Chan Reeves plays the young uh, pirate apprentice whose father is killed. He does very, very good work. I thought he was really good. I really liked him. And that's the real gift of the Chibnall era. He is giving us stories that Doctor Who, in its pre-2018 incarnation, never, ever cared about giving us. Minority characters in the RTD era... And I go into this on my Twitter pilgrimage where I just finished RTD. They're only there to be the first character killed off. And that's it. Here, the story is about – it's basically an all-Asian cast except for Jodie Whittaker and John Bishop. Everybody else is Asian. It's their story. And they are proper characters, and none of the guest cast is killed off except for uh, the father at the very, very beginning. It's, it's a much better story uh, about 19th century China than we would have gotten 
in the RTD or Stephen Moffat eras. And when the 70s Doctor Who gave us 19th century Chinese, we got towns of Wing Chiang. This was nine million times better than the portrayal of Lee Sen Chang. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. It was, a, it was a nice touch that, that, uh, that the keystone as well, that you'd been passed down. But the, the actual knowledge of what it does and how to use it has been lost between the generations. So it is described as very powerful and it could freeze time. And, and that was how they'd trapped the, the lead sea devil as a statue and everything. Uh, but by the time it had, it had come to the current generation, he, he just knew it was a jewel that he wore around his neck that um, that he passed down from his mum and he needed to look after. So that was quite a it was quite a nice nice idea that he, he had no idea what a an awesomely powerful like like an infinity stone type thing wasn't it that uh, I think they described as having infinite power uh, that he's actually carrying around. But I have a question about that statue. It's not just a statue of a sea devil. It's an enormous sea devil holding an adult male in his right hand aloft who is dwarfed by the size of the sea devil. It wasn't a statue. It was an actual Craig uh, Ells-shaped statue, and it comes to life. What happens to the adult male that the sea devil is holding aloft? That's the baby malice um, <laughs> just making a little comeback. Oh, of course, of course. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know. It's not so, yeah, good question. Perhaps it just fell to pieces as it fell to the ground. Perhaps that bit was actually made of stone. So, so some uh, so medieval Chinese sculptor adds the adult male to the actual living sea devil. Yeah. Just a little flourish that the uh, that the wielder of the stone added, yeah, just as uh, just to, to make the the sea devil seem more scary and and for people to stay away from it, maybe. It could have been Will Chandler who goes back to the awakening and then comes out of the church wall. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Now, now we're cooking. But that's the that's the legend of the sea devil, isn't it? You know, that's 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 it in the village there. Mm. Yeah, I, I thought I just want to go back to a point we were talking about earlier that Sai, both, both you and Jason brought up, is, is expectation. And I think that's really, really, really key. Um, like this year, I've kind of just sort of eased off on being on Twitter and social media in general, just my own sanity. And I have to say, I've made an amazing discovery. It's improved Doctor Who enormously. <laughs> so I don't, like, I've just so, I, and I, I just, I, just the way things had been, I've been a bit busy. So I actually hadn't seen much. And I, I kind of stayed away from any publicity. So I didn't really know much about the story at all going in, really. I, I did notice the time. I was just like, okay, it's just a regular length episode. But I just, I think I was just, it was just, I was much more freed up to, to take it on face value. This said, um, I have to sort of talk you through my own personal legend of the sea devils. And I brought along some treasures here to illustrate it, which you won't see. Okay. The listeners, the listeners won't, won't uh, well, I'll have to post this online. But here are a few, here's a little history of me. So, um, the sea devils uh, coming out of the sea in the episode in, in, in the original, the sea devils, is not only the first Doctor Who I can remember, it's the first memory of life on this planet. Because I've been back and I've found that it was a repeat that I caught on the 27th of May, 1974. I was three and a half. And that image of sea devils coming out of the sea was was... I remember seeing that and I don't remember anything before that. So that is... I've always known that. That's the first thing I can remember, and that's when it was. Um, So that was when I was three. The following year, 1975, our family would have been collecting these 
I don't know if you can see this. Uh, Weetabix wow. cards. And in 1975, these beautiful Weetabix cards, one of which I'm holding up now, I'll put on Twitter. And that one stuck around in our family for years. So I kind of just had kind of pictures of it because that's how you, back then in the old days, you just had these little promotional things to remember them by. The year after, the, the famous Typhoo tea cards came out. And uh, <laughs> while we were really wanting the Doctor, which they only put, I think they hardly put any of the, of him in the packs because he was very hard to come by. There were Sea Devils every bloody week. We'd always get a Sea Devil. So we had tons of these Sea Devil cards. So that was me, age four. And then I think, uh, uh, yeah. And then, um, yeah, that was me, age five. And then uh, when I was 13, of course, Warriors of the Deep came along and uh, I bought one of these Andrew Skilleter prints that, you know, these... Oh, that's gorgeous, cool. isn't it? Look Pure piece of 80s airbrushed art, whatever. But that was on my wall. That was around the time I was going to the Doctor Who exhibition. So I remember seeing the Warriors sort of Sea Devils then. And then it kind of, you know, they went dormant, as they did on all of us, until, you know, the age 50 this year on the, you know, New Year's Day... And I'm there, slightly hungover. And at the end of it, we got that trailer, and through the fog walks this. I mean, I could see you could see what it was before it came into focus, and I just couldn't believe it. I mean, and also like I, I generally was sort of thinking, God, you know, Chibnall, he's he's not my favourite show on on Earth. He's certainly not my favourite writer, but he's done us well on the classic monsters. And classic monsters are why I'm here for Doctor Who. If Doctor Who didn't have monsters in it, to be honest, if an episode of Doctor Who doesn't have a monster in it, I'm not really. I'm not into it. So I'm really here for classic monsters. And uh, I, I noticed I went back to my Twitter today, my DMs to you, Mark, and I DM'd you the day after and said, I'm doing a Legend of the Sea Devils episode, yeah. like <laughs> trap one. Like, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I don't care what it is. I'm doing it. So, like, I feel like if anybody could be sort of butthurt and sort of, you know, uh, uh, you know, this destroyed my childhood, I feel like I've got every reason to feel disappointed. <laughs> and I wasn't. So I think I just went by my own personal legend of the sea devils and i didn't and i particularly this time just by coincidence i just haven't seen much online stuff and i didn't afterwards i think i didn't think i looked online till the next day and so i was just able to watch it and i just literally and and because we haven't had doctor who for a while i think i thought god this looks great and when i sort of heard the tardis sound of materialize on a beach it just i was like oh my goodness i was just really happy and i just smiled i was like oh my god it's the tardis yay you know (laughs) and then you know the sea devils all the way through and they the, you know the look of them are fantastic, and bringing back classic monsters isn't easy. You know we've got we've got a very uh, uh, you know relevant analog to this is like Chris Chibnall wrote the Silurian story under Stephen Moffat and brought back the Silurians. That did nothing for me whatsoever. And there are pictures of uh, Neil Gorton's mask, the maquettes of the mask, the monster mask he did, which I would have killed for. And I, I wasn't keen on on what they did instead. It sort of seems more sort of generic star trekky to me so to bring back a monster and bring it back like this is i can't begin to tell you how happy that makes well i am beginning to tell you how happy that makes me and to be honest that's just like i'm just very very happy so anything else around that is fine and the fact they're dressed as pirates feels very different when i feel for me you know the legend of the sea devils in doctor who you've got a you know, they, they, their first story is set in the present, their second story is set in the future, and this third of a trilogy is sort of set in a, a fantasy, you know, hazily remembered past when they're dressed as pirates. And um, so, to be honest, I, I have I kind of got no reason to complain. And so, 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 for me, I think that explains my love of this. And and 
and actually, I think you know you're, you're absolutely right. Like you, I can't, you can't deny any of those plot holes that are very, very easy to pick at this story. But I didn't even notice them at the time. Like I was aware it was kind of a pretty thin, thinly sketched number. And um, I actually looked back at one of the Doctor magazine, and Chris Chibnall describes this episode, or his intent for this episode was big, broad fun. And I was like, I only read that afterwards, but I was like, tick, tick, tick for me. Yeah. So like, yeah, so that's me. So Legends of the Seals, I kind of enjoyed it. And I think the legend thing is important. I think there's a few sort of clues in the story. I mean, the fact it's called Legend of the Sea Devils. But at one point, I think the Doctor says to um, Madame, uh, Madame Ching, says, uh, no one would ever believe me. And the Doctor says, that's what makes a good legend. You know, like, le- you know, I, I was gutted. I was really gutted. My one big complaint of the story is they didn't mention the Merc. I was like, call it the Merc, call it the Merc. <laughs> but it's called by another name from mm-hmm. another far distant land. So that even that name slightly lost to time. And I know I'm kind of maybe, I don't know, I was just, I was just, my imagination was able to just hold this whole thing. And like I said, at m- the moments of stuff like the sea devil leaping, I was just like, okay, we're in picture book, fairy still land. This whole story doesn't, uh, the, the details are kind of fuzzy. The, you know, the moment the doctor's asked who she was, and she says, "We're just a crew from a ship looking for adventure." Like, and I'll take it. I'll take it. You know, like it's sort of there's a sort of dress-up fantasy thing about it that I was just able to enjoy. And and I, I, but I think I think it is worth saying, like the that since I've been off Twitter and off social media a lot more, like it really just frees you up so much more. You, those voices that are sort of, you know, you watch Doc 2 and oftentimes, and we all have this, so you watch it and you go, oh God, that lot are going to hate this. Or, oh God, this lot are going to be screaming about this. And actually that, that starts to dial down and it makes it for a much more enjoyable experience. And it was to my great surprise, I went online and then you find like, oh my God, I hate this. And you're like, all oh, right, okay, it's one of those, isn't it? Um, I mean, that was a long old ramp, but that's why I love Legend of the Sea Devils. I loved it. So that is a beautiful story, and I, it would be criminal for me to begrudge you any of that because that is your life, and that is gorgeous. I'll tell you what would help me. The novelizations involving the Sea Devils and the Silurians are probably some of the best books Doctor Who has ever given us. Uh, you know, I've got Doctor Who literature. I've already covered the first two of those Doctor Who and the Cave Monsters is an incredible book. As good as the Silurians is, Cave Monsters is better because it goes much more into the culture of the Silurians. The Sea Devils book is interesting. Fraser uh, joined me on that a couple of months ago on Doctor Who literature. The Sea Devils hardly feature in the Sea Devils novelization, but Malcolm Hulk puts in so much other good stuff, including this incredible sequence in Chapter 1 when the Doctor and Joe are walking around the perimeter of the island where the Master's prison is. And the Doctor finds a poem engraved uh, by the water, which clearly tells you that the Sea Devils have awoken and have been to this island and have committed terror before. And the poem goes, uh, to you who tread this land, beware the justice hand, little boats like men in days of yore. They come in stealth by night. They come in broad daylight, little boats like men, beware the shore. And I was hoping for something like that, like Malcolm Hope wrote in about five seconds in this 40-year-old book. I was hoping for something like that in this episode, some actual legend of the sea devils engraved that you see, oh, something, something bad happened here hundreds of years ago. 
And then the novelization of Warriors of the Deep by Terence Dix, who is the uncle of the Silurians and Sea Devils, if not their father. He commissioned them. He gave Malcolm Hulk the idea. He adapts Warriors of the Deep, and he fixes most of the problems with the televised episodes, which I also love. If you listen to my hamster with a blunt penknife <laughs> on Warriors of the Deep, it's me yelling at Joe for daring to criticize the story because I love it. But Terrence Dix's novelization fills in the plot holes that Johnny Byrne didn't know about, and he does a much better job explaining who the Silurians and Sea, De- Silurians and sea Devils are. One day, somebody, hopefully Ella Rhodes, is going to novelize Legend of the Sea Devils, and it'll come out as a target in three or four years. And maybe she could go in and put in all this great stuff like Malcolm Hulk and Terrence Dix have given us in book form in the past. This has a potential to be an amazing novelization because we can get the real information about Madame Ching, who's a tremendous figure, which the episode really doesn't go into. It can fill in the backstory. It can fill in some more of the legend and the menace. So while I love Conrad's story, I didn't love the episode as much as he did. But when the book comes out, watch out. That could be an (laughs) all-timer. You should write the book, Jason. Do do it. All I can do is tell you what the book should be. I couldn't write the prose. <laughs> All I can do is give you notes. <laughs> and then do a podcast on it when it comes out. <laughs> Just to go back to, to what you're saying, Comrade, about the Weetabix cards, it's funny because the, um, the, this is in Doctor Who magazine. Uh, if you've got the current Doctor Who magazine on page 27. Yeah. But it's also in the featurette that, uh, that we mentioned, uh, which I'll put a link to in the show notes. The the uh, sort of concept designs for the uh, pirate costumed sea devils. Uh, when I saw that, immediately seemed to evoke something of the Weetabix cards. The I don't know if it's something to do with the poses that he's got yeah. some of the uh, the sea devils in. They're like uh, one is like in a in a kind of fighting stance, another one's kind of going off to the side. Uh, really remind me of that as well. So it's uh, it's as though that was maybe an inspiration. Yeah, and they put um, a bit of netting. I know, they, you know, Ray Holman put was, a little bit of netting. A little yeah, bit of that netting. Was super yeah. Yeah. yeah, that was great. Just that little and, kiss to the past. And lovely. also the scream when the sea yes. devil gets whatever. There's that scream, and that just went right through me. I mean, that's love. That's what that is. That's love. You know, whether yeah. it's a sound designer or somebody just went, let's get that little thing. And, you know, me way back being three i can't remember that screen specifically but it's in that it's then to bring that all the way from that all the way to now i think and also i'm getting really soppy in my old age here but like um i just think like the way things the way the world is going and we've all been through the last two years and it's been a journey but if you look at the way the bbc is going and the way entertainment is going and there seems to be a lot less money and it just seems you just get you know things cost there's just less and less money and you just get what you're getting is less and less. I just felt, I, just, I, I think I just felt very, very grateful to be, to be getting this. And, um, you know, you know, we've, I think, you know, there's a lot of, we've all got various reservations about, you know, Chris Chibnall and his era and stuff. And, you know, good news. We're only an hour away in Doctor Who terms from a whole new, a completely new thing. And it'll be under, under Russell, you're going to get something more confident, more, more, more sort of full throttle, more contemporary, more sophisticated, more edgy, but it will also come with, you know, big Sony money, and he's hinted at a sort of Marvel multiverse-style stuff. So, you know, good news, it's all going to change radically. Um, but I just felt while this, while we still got a BBC, I can't believe there's a TARDIS, I can't believe there's the Sea Devils. I, can, I felt very, very grateful for this little bubble in time. Um, no, and this is, like Jason said, 
we're, we've had 17 years of Doctor Who. We may not have had Doctor Who every year, but Doctor Who is back, has lasted as long. So we're at the last year of Tom Baker here, guys, yeah. which is that just is incredible. So, I mean, that's just, just phenomenal. I don't think any of us really expected when it came back that we would still be here this this far on. I think we all kind of hoped that maybe we'd get a few years and it'd be popular and we'd have a few more episodes to talk about. But to be here 17 years on from when we had our we we met Rose and all of that is is spectacular and wonderful. And in today's TV era, that is something to be celebrated and something to be really grateful to the BBC for as fans, I think. I think sometimes we forget, we take it for granted that as fans that Doctor Who's going to come back and we know how wonderful it is. But actually, I think even the BBC now realise how wonderful it is. And the fact that when they are cash-starved, they are putting all this money into Doctor Who is something for us, I think, to be proud of from them. We wouldn't have got that in the 80s. <laughs> no. I think Chris Chibnall has said that, you know, we're lucky we got any of this. You know, it could it could have ended his, his, his yeah, era. He, he wasn't going to do it, was he? It could have ended with, with Series 12. So all of this is is, is bonus, you know, it's uh, it's up for a time. And, and the thing that you touched on there, Conrad, that I do really like about Chris Chibnall, when you said, you know, we're just a crew, we're looking for adventure, or, you know, we're sort, sorting out fair play through the universe – that I'd far rather have that than those elevator pitches of I'm the doctor, I'm 900 years old, I'm from this planet. Those sort of they seem to be written for the trailer and or for clip shows, and it's just so unnatural and so unlike the doctor that you, know, you kind of grew up with, who was just a, a, an enigmatic stranger who arrived and helped out and then would slip away, you know, at the end of the adventure without too many goodbyes. That's that's the kind of the, the default doctor that I've got in my mind, and those big bombastic speeches don't really fit and I, I like that reset for the character that's I coming think with that's it. why I've liked Jodie's Doctor so much unexpectedly I wasn't expecting to go into this era liking her Doctor but I love that it's like she's a Doctor from the past and she's not mm. full of herself she doesn't always actually believe in herself and the legend so she doesn't state it and she is just there enjoying the adventure and enjoying the day-to-day and in living in the moment. And that's that's great. That's great. You can easily be swept up with that, I think. This, though, is a great moment to segue to the next time trailer because the next episode is going to have – you're almost sure that it's going to have the pocket watch that contains all of the Doctor's memories going back well, well, well beyond Unearthly Child – and it's going to bring back the master who has been this doctor's evil spirit guide, half of timeless children as Sacha Devon telling the doctor who she is because she doesn't remember. In the next time trailer, you're getting two companions, both from the 1980s, who are coming back. And I thought when Kate Stewart was shown briefly, I thought that was Sarah Sutton. I thought, oh, great, we're getting Nissa back. But no, it's just Kate Stewart again. (laughs) So the next episode is going to have tons and tons and tons and tons of continuity and possibly another spoiler culture explanation of who the Doctor really is via that pocket watch. So as great as Jodie has been as the small, non-bombastic opposite of David Tennant Doctor, 
what is the potential of the next time trailer to change all that and give us David Tennant Mark II? I am the doctor and I'm a time lord from the planet Gallifrey, but I'm also the timeless child and I have thousands <laughs> of lives and memories in this pocket watch and I'm not going to show you in a montage while the music swells. What do we think? <laughs> well, I'm, I think uh, the uh, pre, uh, the next time trailer was just wow you could probably hear my screams in new york to be honest <laughs> after that that was was phenomenal i think we we haven't seen the regeneration everyone is saying it's regeneration i think that's the pocket watch energy flooding the doctor i don't think they will show the regeneration in the next time trailer however even though we know i think that is is that but oh my god it's tegan <laughs> and oh my god mm. it's Ace. oh my god <laughs> i i don't remember i made some kind of inarticulate cry especially when i saw ace who is my first companion i saw on tv watching back in the 80s and my wife was in the other room and she went, what's wrong? Don't <laughs> 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 so I was on Mom. vacation in Florida and it took me hours after the episode aired. I, I had to watch it via DVR on a sling account because we, we taped it off of um, BBC America and I had to watch it on streaming and buffering off of a remote DVR hours later all these emails were coming into my inbox from the BBC talking about the next time trailer. I didn't open them. All these posts were getting pushed to my phone from Twitter. I didn't open the notifications. I didn't go on Facebook. The only one that I opened was size message to this Twitter chat group here planning this episode. I'm like, I haven't seen it yet. Don't say a word. <laughs> I am amazed that I managed if the episode aired about two or three o'clock east coast time in the u.s i didn't press play until about 11 30 down in florida because of trouble buffering in our hotel it took me about 90 minutes to get through the the hour i am amazed that it wasn't spoiled for me so my reaction when i heard janet fielding's voice was completely genuine i didn't know at all i didn't have a clue i was fortunate that i didn't open any of these push notifications so I was just ecstatic. And then, you know, I haven't seen the doctor in 40 years. Then you get Ace going, well, I haven't seen him in 30 years. And then the very next shot is Gemma Redgrave. I thought that was Sarah Sutton. So I was on cloud 10, not just cloud nine. <laughs> Alas, it was not Sarah Sutton. It was somebody else. But And then you get Tegan and Ace with the big guns firing at the camera, which launched a thousand memes. That's going to be amazing. <laughs> yeah. Someone said, oh, said, oh, I can't imagine Tegan would be the kind of person who would pick up a gun. And I was there thinking, oh, I've seen her blast Cybermen with a, with a cyber blaster in Earthshock. She would definitely do that. Never mind that. I've seen her in, her, in her, one of my favourite moments. I remember I was having a – this is – God, this is going way back to the very early days of the internet, the BBCI forum. Cyheart, you were on there, I remember. Do you remember that, the Doctor Who forum? Yeah, oh, yes. This is going back to what? When is that night? Uh, Late nineties, early yeah, late nineties, early two thousands, way back in the day. But I remember trying having a discussion, trying to explain to somebody from America about camp. They were about the word camp and what is camp, and they were like, "I don't see what's camp about what you're talking about." And I was like, "The scene I'm talking about has got an, an Australian air hostess um, in like ten sixty, no, no, whatever, sixteen sixty six, beating up a space reptile with the wrong end of a rifle." I can't explain <laughs> camp to you. I, I just, that, it's just that's that what is. it is. I can't describe it. That's what it is. No, it's, it's, it's got previous with guns she doesn't mm -hmm. mind which end she's yeah. like, love it 
And we don't know what she's been up to in the interim either, do we? You know, she's um... RTD gave it to us on the Sarah Jane Adventures. She was in Australia protesting for Aboriginal rights. Well, she could speak Aboriginally, as we know. So, yeah, she was definitely right. on that. So, <laughs> but yeah, I, someone said, "Oh, uh, again, it's all those posts about sort of post this." Sort of, oh, well, I hope Chibnall doesn't destroy their characters like he's done this. And I was just sort of thinking, these two actors have invested 40, 30 years in those characters. If they didn't feel that their characters that they've known and loved and protected were being well looked after in the script, they wouldn't have done it. Mm-hmm. And even for the money, they wouldn't. I think we know them well enough to know that they, they would, they're protective of their characters. They wouldn't go into something that didn't fit with what they want. So I think we're we're in safe hands. And I love the little touches that you because obviously I've watched it a few times. So Ace has got um badges that reflect what were on her t-shirt and what the badges she'd got on her jacket. And Tegan is wearing a lilac um blouse under her lovely new jacket like her air hostess thing it's just those little touches that think yes everyone knows what they're doing here don't they there appears to be a shot on the trailer of ace in her bomber jacket attacking a dalek with a baseball bat if you freeze the trailer Mm -hmm. frame by frame that's in there oh i didn't see that but they they continue to play these characters for big finish as well so let you say uh simon they 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 know these characters inside out. They've they've uh, they they are going to be protective of them, and they can you know presumably easily slip back into them as well, which uh, yes. you know is to be uh, yeah really uh, really fantastic and a, and a, a jam packed special as well with Dalek Cybermen, the Master still hasn't grown a goatee, but uh, you know maybe is that uh, a shad we're... as well, or is it a new yeah. creation? It's difficult to know. So. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And Vinder is back as well. That's right. And, that's right. Mm-hmm. and probably lots of other characters that we haven't even seen yet. <laughs> Juvenile is very good about giving us one spoiler to hide another one. So mm-hmm. there's got to be some big revelation that we don't even know is going to happen that will happen. Some other returning character or concept. Yeah, I think, I think you know, and also a lot going back just briefly to this thing about expectation as well. Like, I think. I think as we're now at the end of this sort of era, like I, I, I feel like I've, I've got a fairly good handle on Chris Chibnall's strengths and weaknesses. I think, you know, I think clunky dialogue, particularly with exposition, you know, is, is you know, is not his strong point. And over, overall, as a showrunner, he's, 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 he's a bit too vanilla for me, I think. Um, and, and endings and sticking the landings, not been a strong point. But positives, you know, have been, like you said, you know, the new the sort of diversity of the writing and subject matter has been off the scale. Classic Monsters has is obviously very, very much my jam. Um, but I think the the, um, the surprises, you know, when I look back to from the word go, since when the the doctor, the new Doctor revealed that it was a woman, it was Jodie. You know, that's those, and then right through to the Master in Spyfall, through to the Sea Devils at the end of this, and now Ace and Tegan. Like the surprises have been unbelievable. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I, I was whole incarnation of the Doctor that we didn't know about. Oh, there we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure we're going to see 
again. And again, that was the classic thing in Fugitive of the Jadoon, wasn't it? Where he announced the Jadoon are coming back to hide Captain Jack, to hide the the reveal of the Doctor. So you get something, but there are two other things hidden underneath that you really don't see coming at all. A bit of a long wait, unfortunately. So you say it's going to be sort of five or six months uh, until we see this episode. But lots of other Doctor Who stuff coming up that we're going to cover on the podcast. Uh, anything uh, each of you particularly looking forward to? I'm looking forward to the new Target books, which are coming mm-hmm. this summer. Those are going to be good. And I think, Mark, next time we're talking about Hornet's Nest, aren't we? Yes. Looking forward to that one. I'm re-listening to that at the moment. Um, I just absolutely love love those stories. There's no That's Doctor Who like those. <laughs> That's right. Oh, yeah, I was. Uh, I'm looking forward to the Dalek movie re-releases in the summer. Looking forward to a trip to the cinema, a bit of double bill action with those. Can't wait for that. Mark, there's, there's a, when he said double bill, Mark, that's that's your cue, Mark. You got a joke, right? You, you got a joke ready and you're waiting for the double bill comment. <laughs> yeah, they they recast him as Peter Cushing. It isn't double bill at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable! Unbelievable! Jason That's the second most insanity. popular tweet of the year, isn't it, Mark? <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Jason? What are you looking forward to this year? I've got three episodes of Trap One coming up that are in search of recording dates. I've got Galaxy 4, the, the Blu-ray, which released in the States. I watched episodes one and two before my vacation. Hopefully we'll watch three and four in the next few days before I go back to work. I have an episode in the works about Warriors of the Deep because we recently had the release of the Warriors of the Deep toys. So I'm short one person on the recording for that, but we're searching out a replacement. And then I also have a 40th anniversary perspective, which is in pre-production. I'm still looking to fill out the, the panel for that for Peter Davison's first year, season 19, because that was between January and March 2022. So we're just past the 40th anniversary of Peter Davison's first season finale. So those are all three trap ones that I have coming up. Doctor Who literature continues on its weekly schedule. Episode 23, Genesis of the Daleks, is going to record tomorrow with one of you three fine gentlemen. I won't say who, and that airs on Sunday. And then the other two of you are also coming up with me very, very soon on recordings. So the Doctor Who literature has done uh, very well to use the Trap One stable to find its guests. <laughs> and that makes the show that much better because God knows – you don't want to hear me talking for 90 minutes. So more of you guys and less of me is a very good thing for Doctor Who literature. It's got to be said, Jason, I'm really enjoying those, I have to say. I, you know, I'm not the, the world's biggest, most well-read person, uh, but I have to say I really, really enjoy this podcast, Doctor Who literature. Highly recommended. I definitely appreciate your support. Can we get links to the Sea Devils and Warriors the Deep episodes in the show notes or something as well? Absolutely. Definitely. So yeah, um, as you said, Sam, really looking forward to the Hornet's Nest episode and hopefully we'll have a nice surprise in that one for the listeners. Yeah, we should do. Um, also looking forward to uh, Mind of the Hodiac, uh, which recently released from Big Finish and is Russell T. Davis's first Doctor Who story. Uh, looking forward to covering that in anticipation of his brand new Doctor Who stories that will be coming up. Uh, coming up. So that, that should be an interesting one too. Well, gentlemen, I wish this podcast would go on forever. Can't we just live in the moment, Mark? (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, but the uh, the time has come, so thank you very much for joining me, and thank you very much for listening at home. We'll see you next time. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. Thanks so much for having me on, guys. This was a blast to talk about. I apologize if I trample over an episode that everyone else loved. I liked it, and again, when the book comes out, please send me a galley proof. I'm very excited to read the novelization. Have a great night. Yeah.